Hi, I'm Jacqueline. And I'm Courtney, and this is Caffeinated Crimes. Welcome to an early edition of Caffeinated Crimes, because Courtney and I are recording earlier than we normally do, so if we sound different, uh, we apologize, or maybe we'll sound better. I don't know. Yeah. Give it a shot. We'll see what happens. We'll see how I sound. It's um, three sips of coffee and woke up 20 minutes ago. So that's that's the vibe I'm rocking today. Um. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. I'm going to go first. So Courtney's going to have time to caffeinate to tell the second half of the story. So hopefully that will help because I've been up for, I don't know, like an hour and a half-ish. But <laughs> yeah, I didn't get much sleep the night before. So last night I kind of like, I fell asleep on the couch and then I went up to my bed and fell asleep for some more. So we're doing good. We're good. <laughs> yeah, I got like a... I guess a normal amount of sleep. It just wasn't like great sleep because, you know, I'm nine months pregnant. I don't get great sleep at all anymore. But I definitely wore myself out yesterday and my body can feel it today. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And also, you know, we don't really have a whole lot of updates because Courtney and I just recorded yesterday. Um, again, trying to make sure we kind of stockpile some episodes for you guys um, so we don't have to take any time off when the baby gets here. So, In the last two weeks, Courtney and I have recorded or will be recording five episodes, and we normally do one a week, so Mm -hmm. you're welcome. Um, (laughs) We're trying our best. Perk of the the weeks have been hard to come by, Um, so if it's like a lame perk of the week, I'm sorry, (laughs) but if you want to hear more about like our lives or talk about true crime updates, you can go to (laughs) patreon.com, and at the $5 tier now, you can get on Discord and chat with us so you can know like up-to-date things about our lives, about true crime, anything like that. Anything you want to talk to us about, you can do there, plus a bunch of other bonuses. Exactly. We're just throwing that that plug in early today. Um, Really, the only true crime update that's happened since yesterday, because, you know, it's only been 24 hours. Um, someone that Courtney and I went to high school with that is now a high school teacher was on the news for resigning from her position for having inappropriate relationships with students, which seems to be a recurring theme with people that we went to high school with. Mm -hmm. It does. Um, a lot of people, inappropriate relationships with children. Um, and I saw, I don't know the whole full story. We won't comment on too much with rumor. Yeah. We're not going to release a name or anything or, you know. Yeah. But I saw so many comments on the news article of men being like, well, if she was my teacher, like, ooh, like, ooh, lucky guy, and da-da-da. And I'm like, that is so toxic. Like, these are children being manipulated by someone older than them who should know better. And, like, that's what people were saying is, like, if this was, like, a gym teacher who's, like, a guy and it was a girl, you guys would be, like, ready to go and, like, shoot him in his house. But now because it's, like, Mm -hmm. a woman who's, like, mildly attractive that you're, like – Oh, she's so hot. I would. Oh, when you get done with her, send her up north. Or, oh, what a lucky guy. Like, no, this is abuse no matter what gender it is. Like, it's abuse. Yes. It is so disgusting to have that mindset. Like, I just do not understand it. It's still abuse no matter which way it's going, who is the perpetrator. You have to look at who is in the position of power. So that's not okay at all, ever. Yeah, and I really hope we do change, like, the conversation on that, because that does happen where, like, younger boys who are abused by babysitters, teachers, or whatever, when they come forward, they're like, ooh, you got an older woman. It's like, no, like, that can still be abuse. Like, that is abuse. They're being taken advantage of. They're being, like, like, it's just not okay. So I just want to remind you guys that it's not okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> and, you know, we all know how much I like and talk about Law & Order SVU, which has been out for over 20 years now. And then, like, the earlier episodes, like, they make jokes about that. Like, like a TV show that is dedicated to sexual offenses, they make jokes about, like, an older woman and a teenage boy. Like, in the earlier seasons, obviously, it's, you know, shifted since then. But it just shows that we're not that far away from that mindset widespread and clearly... A lot of people still have it, but hopefully we'll move away from that soon. Yeah, and I know some TV shows have tried to, like, tackle it, too. The only one I can think off the top of my head at the moment is Glee. I don't remember if you remember that Glee (laughs) episode, but... Yep. But, like, shows do try to tackle it and try to show, like, it's not okay. Like, it can happen. Like, you can be manipulated by someone who's older than you and all that. So, if anything happens to you, don't be afraid to come forward and will help you I guess I don't know how I would help you I'll believe you how's that (laughs) yes there we go um so again we don't really have a whole lot else to update on um so we're just going to go ahead and get into today's episode this is one that has been on our list from the very beginning so finally took a deep dive into it um this will be a two-parter because it was just enough information that it will be a really long one-parter but it'll probably still be shorter two-parter so you know kind of right there in the middle so just bear with us um and part one will be a little bit shorter than part two just because the point that we needed to kind of cut off was a little bit earlier we didn't want to stop in the middle of the part that we're going to start for next week so Mm -hmm. yeah this one i like remember vividly when this happened and i remember it being on the tv and i remember everyone talking about it i just it kind of goes along with Lacey Peterson. It's like one of the first ones like I really remember in my head. Mm-hmm. That like sticks out to you is like watching it happen live. So for our sources this week, we have a whole page of sources, guys. I'm very sorry. Thank God I don't <laughs> so, have to read it. <laughs> <laughs> there was an Oxygen documentary, The Disappearance of Natalie Holloway. A book, Loving Natalie, A Mother's Testament of Hope and Faith by Beth Holloway. Another book, Portrait of a Monster by Lisa Pulitzer and Cole Thompson, Biography.com, a couple of Florida Times Union articles, CourthouseNews.com, a Birmingham Real-Time News, Glamour.com, an ABC News article, Heavy.com, a couple of CNN articles, and a Daily Mail article. And normally I'm really bad at reading the whole list of sources. And I just want you guys to know that that was completely unedited because I got through that whole thing without messing up my words. So I'm excited. Yeah, you did really good. I'm very proud. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like with this case too, like we read so many articles and there were so many articles like we didn't read because so many are out. Like I read the book um, like by her mom and I was like, well, her dad wrote a book and I wanted to read it too, but I ran out of time. Yeah. (laughs) Basically, I was like, I don't have time to read that. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys want an entire spinoff series just on this case, let us know. <laughs> so on May 30th, 2005, 18-year-old Natalie Holloway disappeared on the island of Aruba. Despite numerous leads, no one has ever been charged with her murder. So Natalie Holloway was the oldest child of David Holloway and Beth Reynolds. Um, She was born in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, Her parents had gotten married and had two children. Her brother's name was Matthew. Um, They did divorce in 1993, and Beth got custody of both children. Um, But the three were still very close, and David later remarried to a woman named Robin. 
In 2000, Beth remarried a man named George Twitty, um, whose nickname was Jug. So if we refer to him as Jug throughout the rest of the episode, that is him. Um, And they moved their family to Mountain Brook, Alabama, which is right outside of Birmingham. Um, And he had two children, Megan and George. Natalie and Matthew got along well with both of them. Um, Beth worked as a speech pathologist at an elementary school for children with special needs. Her father, David, described Natalie as a respectable, straight-A, just amazing kid. Um, Her mom, Beth, said that she was very independent, very determined, and strong-willed, that anything she set her mind to, that she was going to succeed at. And a few of her friends did an interview with Glamour to talk about who Natalie really was. Um, They said that she was funny and strong, that she really loved The Wizard of Oz and Leonard Skinner. Um, She even had, like, a wide collection of Wizard of Oz memorabilia. And one time she was asked, you know, who she would want to be stuck on an elevator with, and she said it would be Judy Garland. So just completely obsessed with The Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. Her favorite color was light purple, and she had a dog named Macy, who she loved and would paint her toenails, which is just adorable. Um, She was a good jazz dancer and was always on the school's dance team. Um, She had been in classes since she was three years old and just really loved to dance. Um, Her friend said that she wasn't really a rule bender or a risk taker. Um, She did have a strong Christian faith and was very active in the community ministry for girls in Mountain Brook. Natalie was very close with her mother and she was a very kind person. Um, She studied hard during high school and he graduated with a 4.17 GPA and a full scholarship to the University of Alabama, where she planned to become a medical doctor. So she is just kicking ass at all the things. Yeah, one of my favorite stories that was actually told in that Glamour article, which thinking now I probably should have included is her friends were saying like when she moved, she moved in like eighth grade or something like that. And they were like, Oh, we all have nicknames. What's like, what's your nickname? What do people call you? And she just like came up with a nickname. And then a few years later, she was like, Oh, yeah, I just made that up on the spot because I wanted to be included. Like, I don't have a nickname. (laughs) And like, everyone called her that after it, like all her friends. And she was like, I just made it up because I wanted to be included. (laughs) No one's ever called me that. I just I just like it. We're going with it. So both of her parents had paid half for her to go to Aruba after her high school graduation. Um, So this was a big senior trip and many classes before had gone on the same four day trip. Um, Even her stepbrother George had gone before and Jug's nephews would be on the trip this time. Um, So they left immediately after their high school graduation on May 26th. And this was actually the last time that Dave saw her. So Beth dropped her off early that morning at a friend's house who was driving them to the airport together. Um, Beth planned on picking them up when they returned on May 30th. They were booked at a Holiday Inn that was right on the beach, and there were about 125 total people between the students and the adults going on this trip. So again, this is after high school graduation. These are legally most of them adults. Um, So the chaperones were mostly there for lost passports, missed flights, that sort of thing. They weren't going to be doing like roll call or bed checks or like, like hardcore supervising them, you know? Yeah. And I think there was only like one chaperone for every like 18 students. Like it wasn't a lot of chaperones. Like the ratio wasn't good, I guess I should say. (laughs) Yeah. And it was a five day trip and the drinking age in Aruba is 18. So obviously they planned on this being a big party. You have a bunch of American students who are now going somewhere where they can legally drink. Mm -hmm. I know it was the same way. Um, with, like, people in our high school that would go on, like, the France trip or whatever that, you know, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden the legal drinking age is different. So it's like, okay, we're going to take advantage of this while we can. Yeah. So on the last day of the trip, a few classmates planned to go to a bar called Carlos and Charlie's, 
um, which is a pretty big bar, and they had a band and were playing music, um, and the bar did close around 1 a.m. So a few of the classmates were going to another bar, but Natalie got in the car with three local boys, Deepak and Satish Kalpo, and a 17-year-old Dutch national who was the son of a judge, Euron Vandersloot. Her mom says in her book that her friends reported that she shouted out the window to her friends who were still in the bar and said, I'm going to ride back to the Holiday Inn. Um, she then shouted Aruba. So she's just like excited, living it up. Her dad says that a classmate said Natalie get out of the car and that was the last time that anyone saw her. Um, so a lot of taxis and cabs in Aruba are unmarked or really poorly marked. So a lot of Natalie's friends and family wonder if she thought that she was going back to the hotel, that she didn't realize that this wasn't like a car service kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So on May 30th, 2005, Natalie missed her flight home. Um, so her family is immediately worried. They immediately book a flight to Aruba and the media did pick up this story very quickly. And within a few days, the island was filled with media people. So attention quickly turned to Euron Vandersloot since he was one of the last people seen with Natalie. And Jug's nephew, Thomas, who we mentioned earlier, said that he actually played poker with this guy in the Holiday Inn earlier. Thomas said that he can't imagine that he would harm Natalie, that he seemed like a regular guy. He had told Thomas and the other students that he was a tourist too and was staying at the Holiday Inn. So as we said, both parents immediately got on a flight to Aruba to look for Natalie. Um, Beth had also been trying to contact the FBI, law enforcement, whoever she could to get help. Um, she was just really confused at the fact that Natalie would separate from the group or get in the car with a stranger. Um, they had several conversations before she left about watching her drinks, not talking to strangers, always staying in groups with her friends, just really those safety tips that you keep in mind always, but especially going out of the country at 18. And she said that Natalie had promised her over and over that she would be careful. And overall, she was a really responsible kid, so it was just very unlike her. Yeah, like part of the whole reason Beth was like, okay with her going and she's like natalie's responsible she's worked really hard for this and yeah i know a lot of times like dave kind of was like yeah i don't i didn't really want her going i didn't think it was a good idea but he was like she deserves it like what you know what i mean like she was very responsible she definitely earned the trip so Mm -hmm. and as soon as dave arrived he immediately went to the police um but like police do they just dismissed him and they're like yeah she'll show up in a few days that's usually what happens around here Like, she just ran off. She'll show up, like we hear time and time again. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Dave really knew that something was wrong, and he quickly realized that he was on his own. Um, And Beth also tried countless times to get police to help them or give statements, and she was just repeatedly brushed off and ignored. So eventually, police did interview Deepak, Satish, and Euron. Though only 17, Euron was in a rebellious stage of his life where he was constantly lying to his parents and blowing through his monthly allowance, as well as stealing from his parents. He also had a drinking problem that was really quickly getting out of hand, and his mom, Anita, said that she had been trying to get him help, but as he was getting closer to 18, there really wasn't much that she could do. Um, He was a pretty big guy. He was six foot four with a fairly athletic build. Um, He was not a tourist and actually lived in Aruba. Um, And his friends had reported that he was prone to aggression, especially when drinking. Um, And his friends recalled a night when Euron got into a confrontation with a homeless man. Um, The man was told to leave by a police officer, but he soon came back. And when the homeless man came back, Euron ended up throwing him off a bridge into the water, which is not a normal reaction at all. No, not at all. And he had also pushed a classmate into a glass display case at a local theater. 
However, despite these incidents, Euron avoided getting into legal trouble. Um, again, we mentioned that Euron was the son of a judge. Mm-hmm. That might have something to do with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Euron frequented the casino tables and was known for frequenting bars looking for women, despite having two girlfriends. The Portrait of a Monster book goes more into detail about Euron and his family's backstory, um, so we do recommend checking that out because it's interesting, but we're not going to dive too much into him here because, I mean, fuck him, we don't really need to yeah. get into the details of his life because he doesn't matter. So Euron said that they had met at the casino in the Holiday Inn and then again later at the bar. Um, he and Natalie were drinking together and taking shots, and he said that Natalie wanted to go with him when the bar closed, which is when they got into the car. Um, he confirmed also that she yelled Aruba and that her friends yelled back to get out of the car. So he's confirming that story. He said that they drove around a lighthouse and they made out in the backseat of the car that she was really drunk. And then they started messing around, but that she was too drunk. So he came back and dropped her off in the lobby of the hotel. However, they reviewed the surveillance footage at the hotel and it never showed Natalie returning. And in transcripts of the interviews, Deepak, Satish, and Yaron could not keep their story straight and kept saying different things, but they still were not being taken seriously. So they're just, like, all over the place. On June 2nd, 2005, they started searching the sand dunes. So both Dave and Beth really took a lot of this on themselves, and luckily the media stayed on their side and kept Natalie's name in the news. So they're kind of reinforcing this, like, hey, there's this missing girl. The police aren't really doing a whole lot, you know, really trying to get her story out there. And Beth had gone to the media after the police brushed them off countless times to keep trying to, like, get this traction in this case. And while Beth was doing this, Dave was orchestrating searches of the island. Um, So it seemed like they had, like, separate groups kind of taking on different tasks, just really trying to organize, like, an efficient search here. Um, And so a lot of volunteers did come out, and they went door to door asking if anyone had seen her with flyers. Um, The island is only six miles wide and 20 miles long. So they basically searched the whole island. Um, Beth also met some locals at a Chawler house. Um, that's C-H-O-L-L-E-R. We're not sure if we're pronouncing that correctly. We couldn't find it online anywhere. Um, so sorry if that's not correct. Um, but it's basically a house where drug addicts live. And it's apparently common for the people in these houses to give tourists drugs, to use their cash and their cards until they're empty, and then like set them loose on the beach. So they're like, okay, let's go check this out. And Beth believes this is why the police and the hotel staff shrugged her off when they said that she was missing, because this is a really common occurrence. So this does happen a lot where they go do a bunch of drugs and then they end up back on the beach and they're fine. Yeah, they like lure these tourists in and they like give them drugs. So they're super high and they need their drugs. And they're like, oh, actually, we're just going to rob you until there's nothing left. And then we'll send you back and let you go home if you want. Yeah. Um, so the police are really convinced that Natalie is going to turn up soon, um, because once she's going to, once she runs out of money, she's not going to have anywhere to go and she's going to show back up. Um, but Beth told the police officers multiple times that she had the cash from Natalie's wallet and her debit card was at home. So she's like, she doesn't even have any money on her. So that makes no sense. Like she's not out living it up and going to come back when her money runs out because she doesn't even have any money as it is. Yeah. And also at this time, the remorse reward money for any information leading to finding Natalie keeps growing. So they're all like, okay, someone has to talk soon as this like rewards getting higher and higher, so much money. Um, And they were pursuing a few different tips and sightings of Natalie, but none were panning out. And they really like basically any tip that came in, they would run all over the Island to check it out because they're like, it could be her. Like we can't not 
look into it. Um, and this was really obviously very hard for her family because it's like you keep getting hope and then you keep getting let down. You keep getting hope and keep getting let down. And Natalie's family still believed Euron had something to do with her disappearance. So on June 17, 2005, 18 days after Natalie went missing, Euron, Depok, and Satish were arrested. So the media was like constantly reporting on the case, like we mentioned, and they were like, how ridiculous is it that Aruba play, like police are messing this up and you wait 18 days to arrest them? <laughs> um, yeah. And also at this time, a nightly broadcast was started from Aruba to say what had happened. Um, and so... Again, like everyone is kind of critiquing Aruba on waiting these 18 days because it gives them plenty of time to get their story straight. Like we said before, the three suspects stories were all over the place. So now you have 18 days to figure out what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, they could also talk to Euron's father, Paulus, who is a judge, as we mentioned before. So he probably is telling them what to say. <laughs> and if they are responsible, that gives plenty of time to hide evidence. So... Um, Yoron's father was a judge in training on the small island, and Yoron's godfather was actually the police commissioner. It's a lot of conflicts of interest here. Don't you love when that happens? <laughs> so they searched the car and part of Yoron's apartment, but again, it's been 18 days, so if there was evidence, it's probably not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also revealed that Yoron changed his story so much that in total, he told 22 different versions. That's a lot of versions. Like, No. Yeah. And I mean, it's like different little things, but it was like every time he like changed like what happened. Like, oh, well, we actually did this. Well, oh, no, we didn't do this. And um, again, that book, Portrait of a a Monster, has a lot of these statements in it. Um, But we don't really know which is accurate or if there's any truth to it at all. It's a lot of hearsay. There is some derogatory talk of Natalie. Um, I know in some of the statements, Beth's mom really does believe that Natalie and Euron were together in some way. Um, But I don't know what the truth is. And so I'm not going to say it because Natalie doesn't deserve that. And if she did have some sort of sexual relation with him, that's fine. But from all reports, she was also extremely drunk. So it might not have been consensual. Mm -hmm. Just don't want to talk about it here. Just going to... You, you can find that if you want it. Not going to say it here. Yep. And speaking of his statement changing, like, we do know that your story will have, like, small inconsistencies if it's, like, true. Um, because they say sometimes if you have a statement that's, like, exactly the same every single time, like, nothing differs, like, that's kind of fishy. But for it to change so drastically is also kind of fishy. So just want to kind of make that clear. Yeah, and some people also think that it is possible that Euron raped Natalie, and that's why he keeps changing it, because he's like, well, I don't want to admit to that. So he's like, oh, well, we we did a little bit. Well, well no, we didn't do that. You know, like, yeah. slowly trying to, like, not admit it, but admit it, I guess. Yeah. Lessen his blow, I guess. Then on June 24th, Tim Miller flew down to Aruba to help the family search. So Tim really related to the Holloways because his 16-year-old daughter had been murdered by a serial killer. And in 2000, he founded Texas EcuSearch. Um, so it's a nonprofit volunteer search and rescue operation devoted to helping find missing persons. So by the time he was helping Natalie, he'd searched for 500 different individuals and helped over 100 individuals be reunited with families. So he was like, I don't want people like I want to help people find their daughters or their Mm -hmm. sons or their loved ones 
Um, and he did bring 24 people with him to Aruba and they began their searches on the 25th and they searched like they researched a lot of the old areas that had been searched before and they did it with boats and cadaver dogs. Um, apparently it was like really rough cause it's Aruba. It's hot. It's summer. It's very, you know, yeah. toasty. They said the dogs had to have special like boots on because there's so many cactuses oh, wow. and it's so hot. Like it was like a big, big operation. Mm-hmm. And on June 27th, they did search a pond. Um, somebody said that uh, they saw him coming out of the pond that night covered in mud and missing a shoe. So they did search that pond, hopefully looking to find that shoe. Um, but it didn't seem to ever be found. On July 17th, they also tested a piece of duct tape that was found on a beach that contained a blonde hair. However, DNA testing showed the hair did not come from Natalie. And on July 29th, they started searching the landfills. And they were also searching all these places with just no luck. Because they're like, as you can see, there's a lot of like possible leads where it's like, nothing's there. Nothing's there. So Dave really believed this had to do with Euron's godfather being the police commissioner. And that finding a dead body would be really bad for Aruba's tourism. And Dave just really believed it was a cover-up from the beginning. And... No new evidence was coming up, so on September 3rd, Euron, Depak, and Satish were released from jail. And at this time, Aruba is also trying to upcharge networks for their rights to broadcast there. Um, so all these places that had been there had paid a pretty small sum at the beginning, and now they're like double, tripling, quadrupling the charge for them to be there. And a producer from CNN said they're just making it up as they go and just like trying to stop the news because they're like, oh no, like people aren't going to come to Aruba now. And that's kind of all they cared about. So they like specifically started these charges after Natalie's disappearance. Like it was directly related to Natalie's disappearance that they Mm -hmm. started these extra media charges. Wow. Yeah, because I think maybe they had to pay like just something in general, but like as it kept going. And I know because like Aruba was mostly on the family side, like trying to find them. But there was like something that happened where Beth was on the news being like, she said like these criminals talking about Euron, Depak, and Satish. And like literally Aruba like turned against her like that. Like they were like, oh wow. All the citizens were like, nope, never mind. Like we don't want you. Like, nope, nope. We're not going to help you anymore. We're not going to talk about it. Like <laughs> it was a weird, weird turn. <laughs> Interesting. And in the weeks, months following Natalie's disappearance, many celebrities reached out to um, offer their help and support, including Nancy Grace, Brett Favre, Courtney Cox, and her husband at the time, David Arquette, Kathy Lee, Barbara Walters, like just to name a few. And that's just to show like how big news this was. Like mm-hmm. everyone knew about this. Everyone was talking about it. After Yaron, Depak, and Satish are released, Beth decided it was her time to leave Aruba after she'd been there since Memorial Day. Um, she'd only had, like, a few short, like, day trips home. She'd mostly just stayed there. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of felt this was, like, a final blow, them being released, and that Aruban authorities, they weren't helping. Um, she found out they weren't turning any information over to the FBI, so the FBI couldn't help. Um, And she said she felt that she fought as hard as she could, but there was just nothing else she could do and that she lost this battle. So once she left, she did decide to go on the Dr. Phil show and she decided to basically tell all and tell everything. Um, So she told about Yoron talking about that night, even some of the sexual details that he revealed. She 
talks about Deepak and Satish's statements and how Paulus had told them what to say and what not to say and how the statements changed and all this. Um, And Beth had also discovered that authorities had changed her statement. So when she gave her statement, um, she said it in English and they wrote it in Dutch and then they made her sign it. And then after she left Aruba, she was able to get someone to translate it and they'd completely changed basically everything she said. (laughs) That's insane. So she decided to reveal that on the show as well. And Dr. Phil was outraged and even called for a boycott of Aruba. So now it's going to be like Hmm. up in arms, I guess. Um, And I think even some (laughs) like the Alabama governor and a few other governors were trying to make it like like a legit boycott of Aruba. Uh Um, But I don't think that went anywhere. Yeah. But I'm sure the media attention didn't help. (laughs) Yeah, I saw a lot of reviews on some of the books and it was like, yeah, like I'm not going to Aruba. Like my mom used to go. She's not going anymore. Like after this case. So, I mean, a lot of people still do go to Aruba, but I think a lot of people are like, "Eh, I don't want to go there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So after this, the case goes pretty cold um, with just a few various tips coming in. And a lot of the tips are just, oh, she's in a grave, she's in the water, she's on the land, she's in a sex trade. Um, But none are really, like, leading to anything. You know, you always get those, like, psychics calling in who are like, I know Natalie is here, I know she's there, I know she's here. And Mm -hmm. none of them are really panning out. So Dave spoke in the documentary how he just kept looking and trying to find her, and he said he'd have panic attacks, some so bad that he really thought he was having a heart attack, um, just because he's like, I can't find her, I can't help her like I don't I don't know what to do mm-hmm. and Beth um, talked to, again like how the island just kind of turned on her and that they just kind of stopped caring about Natalie and the media and police just did not try and help anymore um, also around the time that the three suspects were released Hurricane Katrina happened so the news kind of shifted from Natalie to yeah. everyone's talking about Hurricane Katrina now so it's kind of like nobody's talking anymore In March 2006, Yoran does go on Fox News to try and tell his story and clear up some confusion and suspicions about that night. And in 2007, Yoran went to Holland and wrote a book about his side of the story called Dizak, Natalie Holloway. I am so sorry, I don't speak Dutch, but that's (laughs) the case of Natalie Holloway in English. (laughs) And it was written in Dutch and never translated to English, so I'm not going to read it if you want to and speak Dutch. Have fun. <laughs> what, wait a minute, Courtney. You didn't spend time reading this Dutch book that you wouldn't understand and couldn't explain? I don't... Okay, we're slacking over here. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, you need to uh, get on our Patreon so I can quit my job. I'll learn Dutch and I'll read this book and tell you what it says. <laughs> That'll be our Patreon series. Is I'll just yes. learn the languages, read the books that aren't translated, and I'll tell you about them. <laughs> However, this book was not very popular, and many people in Holland just despised him. Um, Even the name Joran, which was a pretty popular boy's name, kind of started to be shunned. Like, people were like, I can't name a kid that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And Joran's ghostwriter on the book talked about her experience working with him and how he was basically just a nightmare. How he would show up late, or he wouldn't show up at all, or how he was like, they're out to get me. And like, just, it was a horrible, horrible experience. Mm Mm-hmm. Then on November 1st, 2007, the three three suspects were arrested again after emergence of new incriminating evidence, but again, it fell through and they were released by December 7th. And we don't know what that new evidence was, right? Like they didn't release that? 
no, I didn't really see anyone like explicitly say and like, yeah, I don't know if it was like, oh, someone said something. We can just bring you in. Like, why not? But Mm -hmm. yeah, whatever it was, apparently was not that incriminating. (laughs) It just seems like since they're so like eager to protect them, that it would have to be something like Mm -hmm. pretty concrete and legit for them to arrest them again. But obviously for them to let them go, you know, so I was just curious. Yeah, I didn't see specifically what it was. I mean, I guess, I don't know if Aruba is like the U.S. where it's an open case and they don't really have to tell you anything. (laughs) Yeah. Then on November 22nd, 2007, they used a boat to search the waters. They did find a piece of fabric in a crab trap, which a lot of this was reported to that Natalie was possibly like in the ocean or towards like these like fishermen's Uh huts and like the crab trap areas. Um, however, it was not a match to the blouse she was wearing that night. And on March 23rd, 2010, a possible skeleton was found. And on November 12th, 2010, a jawbone was found on the beach. Again, neither of these were Natalie, which who are these people? Right. (laughs) They keep finding all this really fishy stuff. (laughs) Is whoever's blonde hair was in that duct tape. Is she okay? (laughs) Yeah, like, can we can we check on her? Do we do we know who she is? And that has just to be so devastating for the family, too, that they keep getting all of these little things that they're like, oh, we think this is something, we think this is something, and then every time it turns out to not have anything to do with Natalie. Yeah. And it's been, like, five years at this point, too, so it's still just, yeah. oh, have hope, nope, 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 nope. It's horrible. So, in February of 2010, Paulus Vandersloot died. So, Paulus, again, had really protected Yoron. He'd protected all of them. So, with his passing, the Holloway family was like, okay, like, this can lead to some movement, you know? Because this whole time, Paulus has been like, anytime Yoron started to talk, he's like, nope, don't say anything, don't say anything. Like, probably mm-hmm. protecting him. Yoron's, you know, living this life of drugs and partying and going crazy. And Paulus was really the only thing keeping him, like, out of trouble. So, they're like, maybe we'll get some movement, we'll get a confession, something. And after his father died, Yoron did say he would give information about Natalie's remains for the reward money. Um, But he wanted 25,000 of the 225,000 reward up front. So they did agree, which I know Beth said later she kind of got some shit for this. But it's like, Uh if he's going to possibly tell you where your daughter is, like, I'd pay the money. Like, I wouldn't. And like, I wonder if this is legal in the u.s because i it just seems strange to me that a suspect in the case could get reward money for providing information about the case like that just blows my mind yeah it went through her lawyer and everything so i guess so i guess they're thinking like okay he'll give us information and then it'll show he's guilty and we'll take that money back (laughs) basically because then i'm like well okay so if it shows that you're guilty and then you get sent to prison and then what happens to your money or, you know, maybe it proves your innocence. And I, yeah, I mean, I guess because he's just a suspect, it's not like he's been arrested. Mm-hmm. So I guess he couldn't be excluded from, cause he could be providing information to prove his innocence. Sorry guys. I'm just working things out in my brain as I talk. So just bear with me. <laughs> I think too, a lot of time, like with these cases, especially in this, he'd probably have to pay restitution to the family yeah. and they would take any money he has. So it's true, like, true. well, if this does find that he's guilty, we'll, we'll probably get that money back. And maybe we're only giving him a portion of it up for, you know, up front. So if what he's saying, like, doesn't lead to him being it, it's like, oh, maybe, you know, 
they're just like, anything that'll help us find Natalie, like, go for it. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Makes sense. So the family's lawyer gave him $10,000, and he told him that his father buried Natalie in a house's foundation, and then they wired the other $15,000 to his Netherlands bank account. However, this did turn out to not be true, and Joran just used the money he was wired to go to a trip to Peru because he wanted to take part in a poker tournament. So the U.S. is like... You can't do that. So on June 27th, he's indicted on wire fraud and extortion charges. Um, And when asked why he wasn't arrested before, um, like when he was in Aruba on this time, because they're like, well, clearly you knew this was wrong. Like he's lying. Like, Mm -hmm. why didn't you arrest him then? They're like, oh, there just wasn't sufficient evidence. Air quotes. Hmm. Which. Okay. As you'll see, this non-arrest turns out to be a pretty big deal. It does. Because. On this trip to Peru, he's in the news again. And in May 2010, Yoran was starting to make news for the suspicious murder of a known acquaintance, Stephanie Flores. And at this time, Yoran was really leaning on a man named John Ludwig for support. And John was seen frequently on Nancy Grace defending Yoran after he, after Yoran had admitted to killing Stephanie. Yes. So do you have a lot of questions? We'll address them in part two. (laughs) So both Stephanie Flores and John Ludwig are going to be a huge part of part two. So we wanted to kind of give you this little like teaser, little Mm -hmm. intro. Um, If you feel like you've been left on the biggest cliffhanger since forever, um, again, (laughs) plugging Patreon. Because if you are Patreon, you get part two immediately. It is right now. In your little Patreon RSS feed thing. Yes. um, We did not want to get into starting to tell Stephanie's story and then having to stop partway through. Um, So again, this week is a little bit, is going to be a little bit shorter than part two. um, But part two is available now if you are any of our Patreon tiers. So um, we'll get into that next week and kind of share more about our thoughts at that time because normally we like to kind of chat at the end of the episode, but we don't want to chat too much because obviously there's more information to cover. We don't want to accidentally give you a spoiler. You know, we can't Yes. spoil-free zone here. <laughs> so with that, Courtney, what is your perk of the week? Okay, my perk of the week is yesterday I got to hang out with my sister and my niece and nephew. So they actually came over to my house, which they hadn't been to before. And my nephew is obsessed with my cats like he'll just look at pictures of them he'll talk about them everything so he did get to see them luna was like not about it and she hid under the bed for not having it we're not having it we had to like coax her out after they left like you're fine come mm-hmm. on which she doesn't really she doesn't really do other people she's like mm, i'm good um yeah. but nova played with them so much and Eli loved playing with Nova and playing with the laser pointer and the toy and he wanted to put her in the bed (laughs) and all this it was really really cute and um so it was just fun hanging out with them and getting to see my cat interact with my niece and nephew and how how good she was with them and sweet playing so oh that's sweet I bet Nova had a blast (laughs) yes she slept so long after that (laughs) oh because Eli does not tire he does not get tired and so he would mm-hmm. just like run back and forth with the toy and like play with her and it was it was really cute that's adorable 
So that is my perk of the week. Jacqueline, what is your perk of the week? Well, first of all, I want to follow up on last week's perk of the week because I talked about this great book that I was reading and I was in the middle of it. So I said, I hoped it didn't have a bad ending. Well, I finished it yesterday and it had a wonderful ending. So I just want to confirm that I still stand by the book. Um, (laughs) So in case you guys were just needing to know that. Um, And again, that was The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. So follow up on that. Um, But my perk of the week, um, like I mentioned at the top of the episode, I really wore myself out yesterday because after Courtney and Tiffany and I did our regular um, Saturday morning FaceTime workout, Andrew and I also went on a three-mile hike yesterday. So it was a lot on my 39-week pregnant body, but I really enjoyed it and it was a good time. (laughs) Um, It's the first hike of the season because it's finally good weather on a weekend where we don't have other plans and we're not like doing stuff around the house or like getting stuff ready for like the nursery and the baby and all that stuff. So we got to actually go out and go for a hike with the dogs and it was like perfect weather and it was beautiful. And yeah, so that's my perk of the week. Yeah, that's a good one. The beautiful weather has been amazing. I'm probably just going to go sit outside forever, Um, but (laughs) it's been so nice and I'm ready for warmer weather. We had kind of a, what do they call it? Is it blackberry winter, blackberry summer? Whatever. When it gets, like, really cold. <laughs> like, when it's supposed to be know. warm. Anyway, there's a term for it. It's either <laughs> Blackberry so. winter or Blackberry summer. I don't know which one. Can't remember. But it was, like, got down to, like, the 50s in May. And I was like, I mm-hmm. don't like this. Don't like this. I want, I want it to be warm. So, I think warmer weather's here. Hopefully, it's here to stay. Yes. Um, so, if you guys want to talk to us about whether it's Blackberry summer or winter or strawberry fall or whatever Courtney's talking about, <laughs> you can do it's so. It's a thing. I'm not crazy. <laughs> on Instagram at Caffeinated Crimes Pod, on Twitter at Caff Crimes Pod, that's C A F F Crimes Pod, on Facebook at Caffeinated Crimes Podcast, or you can email us at Caffeinated Crimes Pod at gmail.com. Again, if you guys want part two right now um, and other fun bonus content, our new Discord channel, all that fun stuff, head on over to patreon.com slash caffeinatedcrimes where you can have all of those goodies. Yeah, and we're still doing our Apple reviews giveaway, so go ahead and do that. Once we get to 50, we'll select someone to get a pin, a sticker, and a gift $10 gift card to the coffee shop of your choice. Um, any coffee shop, Dunkin', Starbucks, local, Dutch Bros., Tim Hortons, I don't know, whatever you want. Uh, We'll give you that. So (laughs) our new segment is just Courtney listing coffee shops. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Um, But in the meantime, go have a cup of coffee and don't commit a crime.